And welcome to the Happy Hour. The always fun, semi-informative, always relevant, and slightly irreverent Happy Hour talk show presented by App Growth Summit. So whether you're on your way to work, winding down after work, or you're bored at work, pop in an episode and take a quick shot of the Happy Hour. Awesome. Thank you, Kehlani, marketing specialist here at App Growth Summit. No problem, Louie, founder and managing director at App Growth Summit. <laughs> I've gone to the point where I have no last name. Just, <laughs> Just the one like Louie. and Louie. <laughs> and who who are we with today, Kailani? We are here with the one, the only, Tommy Yiannopoulos. Oof. Yes. Got you it? got it. That's the Look last at name. That. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's... <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy Yiannopoulos, Director of Sales Americas at Remerge. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Kailani Ampage Curtis. That's why she said Louie, because I... I dropped her second and third last name <laughs> yes the longer the names the more power <laughs> yeah. i hope so i sure i sure hope so my last name's way too long and i appreciate that you pronounced it correct a lot of people get it wrong and it's it's been a thorn in my side my whole life you what's have the biggest, go ahead what's, what's the biggest mispronunciation yanapoulos is what i get <laughs> oof, all the time oof. all the time yeah uh, but Yiannopoulos is the is the correct correct pronunciation of my very Greek last name, and that is the shortened version, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get another vowel? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only names that are longer, I think, are like Thai Thai names. I bet. I, I don't know. I don't have much familiarity with with Thai names. Yeah. I I have a neighbor in uh, my parents have a neighbor. Their last name. Um, it's also they're also Greek and it's Papavasadopoulos, which is I think the longest name that I've heard. Yeah, ever. I think it's like <laughs> see that's why I thought maybe yours was like no. Oh, do you ever go by Tommy Yanni? <laughs> <laughs> my brother actually, my my older brother growing up in high school, his nickname was Yanni. So uh, it's not a name I could take as well. <laughs> <laughs> you steal it. There can only be one. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I just learned about the Josh fight. Apparently, Kalani was telling me. Have you heard about this? Just where all the all, all the fellas named Josh in like Minnesota got into mm-hmm. a big noodle fight. Absolutely for charity. So. <laughs> oh really? What, what was the charity? Do you know? They raised eight thousand dollars for a children's hospital. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know what they yeah. should have done? They should have also done a GoFundMe too to raise on top of it. Yeah, put your bets on your favorite Josh. See. Ooh. We could have incremental incrementality raised this thing in augmented <laughs> revenues. It's like a trigger word for me. Had they attended an app growth summit, then maybe they would have gotten their marketing right. See? Or listen to <laughs> any of the numerous Remerge podcasts hosted by Tom. <laughs> I'm certain none of those things would have helped, but that's all right. We'll say they could have. <laughs> So let's say, let's start off by, you know, we should uh, get to know Tommy in a way that other people don't. Tell us something about yourself that most people do not know. Yeah, sure. Um, I play music. I don't know if you call it professionally. I feel like it's a stretch of the word because when you say professional musician, the implication is that you're really well known as a musician and I am not well known as a musician. But I play in a band that tours around mostly New England, and uh, we do get paid for playing our music. So I think you could potentially call it professional, or let's just call it semi-pro, to be fair. But I play the bass guitar. I do some vocals in that band. The band is called Six Fox Whiskey. It's a terrible name, but it is what we're called. And, and yeah, I've been playing bass since I was... 
I don't know, 12, maybe really young. Oh, wow. uh, so most of my life now. Yeah, I, I started playing guitar when I was 14. So hell yeah. You any, do you still time. play? Yeah, I still I still have them hanging up on on the wall with the hooks that hook into the yeah. wall. So I've got an yeah. acoustic and an electric there. Uh, I had I used to play bass in a band in L.A. and then we played the whiskey, the whiskey a go go, and uh, <laughs> so that was the pinnacle of my musical career. Was I played the same stage that like Jim Morrison probably threw up on? So that that's amazing. <laughs> that's your claim. That's to more fame. than I could, yeah. <laughs> more than I could say. I've never. I'm trying to think. You played the Middle East. No, actually, we what? Yeah, we've played, played the Yeah, we that that venue um, doesn't really exist anymore. But of course, that's like a Boston staple. You got to play that as you come up. So we did play that. One one place we did play that is interesting is called the Stone Pony, which is in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and it's a famous location because that's where Bruce Springsteen made his career. So I can uh, therefore, like you say, I shared a stage with with someone famous to some degree, and that is also my claim to fame now. See, <laughs> that's the awesome boss. i wish i was a musician or at the very least could play an instrument but can you sing no i mean i do it that doesn't mean i'm good at it <laughs> but i grew up went going to an elementary school that was very music heavy all of my friends can play something they can sing they can dance except me and i'm starting to think i'm cursed because Bad stuff always ends up happening to my music teachers. Always. I think I'm the problem. I tried piano. I tried guitar. I tried violin. You said bad stuff happens to your music teachers? Yes. Uh, I think I'm cursed. What what happens Um, to your piano teacher? (laughs) I can't get this. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my musical carry stuff starts flying around. No, I I started learning guitar at school. We had a teacher that was, it was a little bit of a situation where they were the history teacher and then they taught guitar on the side. And he was obsessed with the Beatles. His name was Jesse. I was in the third grade. And shortly after he started giving me uh, guitar lessons, he got into a sports accident and broke his wrist. And so he couldn't play for a while. And i I think that I'm cursed, to be completely honest, just because I tried piano, I tried guitar, I tried violin. And uh, have you tried marketing are- before? Because if this is something <laughs> I should know about, let me know now. Fortunately, <laughs> have you done podcasting? <laughs> fortunately podcast. I don't think uh, marketing or podcasting are an instrument. So I think we're good here. <laughs> yeah, there are microphones, though. Oh, shit. There are microphones <laughs> present. So I'm going to be super careful today. Yeah. <laughs> So is that what you'd be doing if you weren't like an incrementality retargeting uh, outstanding podcast host specialist? <laughs> I mean, everyone wants to be a famous musician, right? But paying the bills through music is, is it's a hard thing in and of itself, right? So yeah, of course, ideally, I'd love to be playing music because it's, it's my passion. But I think if I were to take a more realistic view at the, the, the possible jobs that I could have in another another life. I, I'd probably be like a vet. I, I love animals so much. I love dogs in particular. Louis, I've met your dog before. I think he yeah. he he humped me a little bit at one of your events. Bit. But little that's bit, all right. Bit. He was just he was just excited and I get it. San Francisco, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I I guess. Um but I love animals so much and if I yeah, if I could just be around animals all day, I'd be an incredibly happy person. Do you have a dog? I do. Yeah. I have a, a, a four-year-old now 
a German Shepherd. His name is Kenny. Next to my fiance, he is he is my best friend uh, in the world. He, he's the best dog. He's like my shadow. He's always right next to me. Oh. Amazing. Did you ever write a, a song about Kenny? No, no, I don't. It's a good idea, though. It's it's my fiance asked me to write songs about her as it is, and I've never done that even. So she's probably the first stop before I before yeah. I get to Kenny Kenny Range. Yeah, because Kenny will understand if he doesn't get a song, she probably won't. <laughs> he sure will. <laughs> Speaking of that, what was your most memorable weekend? Because I have a hint, we're segueing right into something. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I was. It has to be when when I propose to my fiance. I, I don't get nervous too often. I mean, I, just like anyone, like I, I I get nervous, but that was like a next level. I am beyond nervous. I don't know what's gonna happen. I I knew she was gonna say yes, but I didn't know if it would play out in the way that I was hoping it would, and everything. And um, most memorable weekend because I was so nervous, but also most memorable weekend because it was just uh, unbridled joy. I guess you could call it right. Like what? How'd you do it? Be- it sounds. It might sound lame to some, but it is kind of who I am. Um, I did it in her grandparents' backyard. She was very close with with both of her grandparents, and I'm always very thankful that that I did because um, her grandfather is no longer with us. So it was yeah. really special that he got to enjoy that moment of of our relationship uh, because our wedding got postponed and he, he passed away and everything. So, yeah. long story short, uh, we did it in her in her grandparents' backyard. Then my family and her family met us out at lunch. We, they surprised her, and it was just a uh, it was actually just such a wonderful weekend. And then bringing this full circle that night, I actually had a show in the area where I proposed to where it was in New Haven, Connecticut at a, at a venue called Toad's Place, also a pretty famous uh, venue Never for a lot heard. of up and coming bands. So it was like a, an awesome day. It was like I got uh, the love of my life to say yes to to my proposal. And then I got to go play some rock and roll that night. What could be That's better? amazing. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. That's everything. I am 100% a fan of sentimental, like meaningful proposals over big public spectacles because I think if you propose to someone in public, it's a hostage situation. It's not a proposal <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah, especially when they do it on a big jumbotron. Oh, a hundred percent. It's a hostage situation. No one can change my mind. <laughs> I I can't I could never empathize uh or understand, I guess is the better word, why someone would, would choose to do it in such a public scenario. It's just it it literally never appealed to me. I would never do it that way. And uh, and you always see those those horror movies of when they when they say no. Oh my you know, gosh. And it's in front of, uh, like you said, if you're on a jumbotron and they say no, well, now 10, 20,000 people know that you just got rejected pretty badly. Oh, yeah. But also to, to the point you're making, to your point, as they say in business, but <laughs> like you say, like you said, uh, like the whole point of it is like you're asking someone to be with you and it's a very intimate thing question it's a very intimate yeah. time so to mm-hmm. put that in such a public spectacle almost doesn't really fit right yeah it, it diminishes the value i think of of the relationship by doing that um or at least diminishes maybe not the value of the relationship but but the weight of what it is that you are asking i think is diminished in, in that context yeah you're talking all about new england traveled all over new england obviously in this business you've probably traveled elsewhere uh what what's like what's the place that you would like to travel to that you haven't. Oh man, I want to go to Cuba so badly. You know, for for a long time in in the states, it was uh, it was like the forbidden fruit, right? You couldn't go. You 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 couldn't travel to Cuba. There was embargoes and restrictions on the area, and it's always just had a really cool allure to me. I think for that reason, as well as just 
for some of what I learned about Cuba, um, especially in college when I was minoring in Hispanic studies. Um, it's just such a fascinating place. And the music there is just tremendous. So I'd really, really love to go to Cuba. And um, I hope to make that happen sometime soon. Uh, Abcross Summit, Havana. <laughs> oh, that would be an up. outrageous. Yeah, that would be the most fun everyone's ever had an event. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I will say that our, our Brazil event was, was pretty awesome, you know? I bet. Yeah. Anywhere in Latam is always a good time, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is the, I don't know, places you have been, what's like your most memorable place that you've gone to? Besides your grand, your you know your grandparent in law's backyard, obviously. <laughs> that was very memorable. That, that is actually a good call out. Um, I've been I, I've traveled a lot in Europe, partly because you know I, I my, my father is from Greece and everything. Um, so I, I I love Greece so very much. It has a very near and dear place in my heart. But ever since I worked at Remerge, I started traveling to Berlin quite a bit, and I think mm. Berlin's one of the more fascinating cities uh, mm. in the world, both from the they have an amazing art culture. They have an amazing music culture. And obviously, there's a, a historic culture there that is, mm -hmm. I think, really important to understand and, and go and visit. And I I love the people there. Obviously, my coworkers are there. And I think the world of, of all of them. And they always show me just a wonderful time. But I really love Berlin. Like, I would spend so much time. That was probably in this pandemic, one of the things I missed the most was my, you know, probably two or three times a year travels to, to, to Berlin. Um, it's, it's been a bummer not being able to go. Yeah. Remerge had a, had a nice office too. I've been there. Yeah. We just, um, we had a really interesting office there, really kind of historic. Yeah. It was like, it was basically like, it felt like an apartment, like a, huge three, four apartment with all these different spaces where people could be. We recently, um, in the last year basically left that office though. And we've, we've, you could say upgraded our, our living, uh, scenario to more of a kind of tech startup sort of hub area of the city. And we have a really, really wonderful space, which I haven't seen, but I'm really looking forward to seeing. That's awesome. Do you have any like special spots in Berlin that are your favorite places to eat or, Give me a list of like bucket list things that I need to put on my list for when I finally make it to Berlin, <laughs> AGS Berlin, 20 something. <laughs> the challenge is I can't pronounce anything. Um, so because yeah. it's all it's all in, in German and I have no idea how to say anything in German. So I couldn't even tell you where to go. And part of the other problem is whenever I, I go with my coworkers, they, I'm just kind of like playing follow the leader the whole time. Mm -hmm. And we've been to some clubs, for example, and I have no idea what they're called, but you know, everyone's beckoning me, come this way. And I'm saying, <laughs> all right, that's where the fun is. I'm there. I don't have any wonderful recommendations, but if you do go and you need advice, ping me and I will ask someone who actually knows the names of things to get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, around Remerge, I think that you were now forced to like, hopefully not sound pretentious by trying to pronounce it, but you were near Rosenstrasse, right? Like that was a street. I know our street is Oranienberger Strasse. Oh, okay. It's uh, that's where we used to be. I'm not sure where that is relative to anything, though. <laughs> so, okay, well, again, I'm not much help. <laughs> there's like a street in Mitte, Berlin, around you know the middle of uh, mm -hmm. Berlin, and we had an event there uh, at House Ungarn, and there was this place. It's an American name called the Reed. I think it was at the end of that block, and it had a giant. The entire wall was like an LED panel that just had a video moving around just constantly. So like the entire wall was just an LED screen. So that was pretty awesome. That's awesome. 
Yeah. Everything I've heard about Berlin makes it seem like one of the coolest cities ever. Sorry, LA, but <laughs> it's <laughs> but we don't have Ber- LED walls. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. It, Berlin's interesting. When you first get there, I was a little bit taken aback because it's it feels very gray. The city itself, mm-hmm. right? And 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 some of that is because of their past history. But I think once you really spend time there and dive into it and find some cool places to go visit, like like what Louis just mentioned. It really just starts to to uncover itself, and and it's just such a rewarding experience to go there, in my opinion. And if you're going there, uh, the hipster area is Kreuzberg, so definitely yeah, Kreuzberg. I do love it there. That's uh, and maybe I maybe because I'm a little bit of a hipster, but I I love Kreuzberg. <laughs> it's really cool. A bunch of my coworkers live there, and I always have fun in that area. Yeah, and all the food is like it tastes so much fresher than in America. Sorry, mm-hmm. America, and. Uh, <laughs> A great place to stay that's not that expensive is the, and it's a chain hotel, but it's the Radisson Blue on Karl Liebigstrasse, and a giant aquarium is in the lobby. Whoa. I'm sold. (laughs) (laughs) This thing is like 10 stories high. Like, look up Radisson Blue Berlin, and you'll see this thing. It's enormous. It's like millions of gallons or something like that. It's outstanding. And they have the best breakfast buffet I've ever had in my entire life on top of it. Like everything was amazing. So there you go. Berlin FTW. (laughs) (laughs) If you go to Berlin, stay at the Radisson and enjoy the breakfast buffet is the big takeaway that your listeners are getting. (laughs) And there's Tommy's podcast. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a travel Berlin commercial. (laughs) You were doing a musician Traveling the World podcast. All right. So then <laughs> before we move on and start talking nerdy, uh, what's like your guilty pleasure food? Oh, fried chicken um, like and, and buffalo wings. I'm, I I love KFC. I love Popeye's. It's It's been a revelation of a year because Popeye's has like an app that I can get delivery on. Uh, KFC actually just launched an app as well. There's a KFC about half a mile up the road from me. So <laughs> I don't eat them more than like once every two months. But when I do, it's always like, that was the best meal I've had in my entire life. I love that food. Uh, Tommy, you were doing so well. Now I have a bone to pick with you. Uh-oh. What? <laughs> what, do you, what could you possibly I, have to I pick? I have major, no pun intended, beef with KFC. Uh, it is a short s- spot for me. I, I can't, okay? Tell us why. <laughs> yeah, so, what do they do to you? <laughs> <laughs> so there's a KFC down the block from you, apparently, but there's also a KFC in the call. My initials were meant to be KFC intentionally um, because when my dad found out that I w- he was having a baby, he was like, oh, okay, perfect. When he and my mom met, they were very young, very broke. Their go-to date spot was KFC. They both loved it. And when my mom was pregnant and they were picking through names, his last name was Curtis. Mom wanted my middle name to be Faith. And so he was like, okay, the, her first name has to be Kay. And so he had this whole thing, Kaylani Faith Curtis. And my mom didn't realize what my initials would be until she gave birth to me and was signing the paperwork for my official government name. So yeah. that's why my last name's hyphenated. I have the long Ampridge Curtis last name. <laughs> really? To save me, I, I mean, come on. It doesn't get much worse than that. KFC, are you kidding me? <laughs> You're basically K-Fact. I, I think it's worth yeah. <laughs> it's worth worth caveating that what you just described has nothing to do with their chicken, though. And it's just like, <laughs> it, just tastes, <laughs> it tastes so good, right? And I'm sorry. And they didn't, you know, they didn't do that to you either. You know, they, I feel like they were very innocent in that whole story. They were just 
trying to give your parents an amazing date spot, which they definitely did. Yeah, they kept going back. Yeah, exactly. You know, (laughs) actually, they were so good. They they uh, created a union of two humans. (laughs) Did he propose at the KFC? No, I don't think so. That would have been a that would have topped everything off a hostage situation at a KFC. (laughs) (laughs) That's like a Florida man article. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Florida man proposes a KFC gets chicken thrown in face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's no better segue to start talking nerdy with you, Tommy. (laughs) Yeah, right. Let's do it. So what's the thing that gets you the most fired up in the industry besides uh, defending KFC out of the industry? (laughs) (laughs) The most fired up, like what's like a a topic that is super interesting to me right now. I mean, it has to be, and this isn't unique to me. I feel like this is every, every, one who inhabits the space has got to be the IDFA, right? This is such a pivotal yeah. moment in our space, in my opinion. It's also been one of the most intriguing moments because there are just so many different layers to the story, right? From everywhere from, you know, why why is Apple gone about enabling these these policies and these regulations? What are their intentions behind all of it? Are they are they good or are they malevolent in some way or another? There's a whole debate to be had there probably by a lot of people. And there's like the next level of you know, what it's been so interesting to see different marketers and how they're approaching the topic as well as their level of preparedness for the changes that are coming, as well as the the level of actual research and time they've dedicated into developing new solutions to to address some of these changes. And then there's like the actual outcome of it all, right? Like what are where do we where do we net out with all this, right? It it it's such a massive change for measurement, for targeting, which really means it's a massive change for for budgeting and and really the entirety of how we approach mobile marketing. So it's such a fascinating topic. I don't think anyone has all the answers yet for how it's going to play out, but it's it's going to be really, really, it's like probably the most interesting time to be in the space right now it, because it's presenting us with the most challenges and the most to learn it ever has in the last probably six years, which which I think is, is just awesome. I want to ask you how you feel uh, retargeting is going to be affected because that's a large part of what you do. Yeah. But- since none of nobody's wrong right now, I think I know why they're doing it. Go ahead, let's hear it. They want more money. They want to take over <laughs> the entire ad industry that they feel that they created, because uh, they created this ecosystem that everyone's getting a getting get, getting rich off of, and they only get their thirty percent off of in-app purchases and subscriptions. They don't get anything off of the ad clicks and anything else. So they want their VIG. And by uh, making your jobs less effective, in theory, then they get (laughs) to come in and be the heroes someday by creating a walled garden that you have to target iOS users will use the Apple audience network, quote unquote. So... You know that's definitely possible. I don't. I don't know. Obviously, uh, and only Tim Cook probably knows. Really, <laughs> that if that were uh, their goal, I think it's worth always keeping in mind that like the marketers in our space are incredibly intelligent and uh, adaptive individuals. And even if that's Apple's intention to create what you essentially just describe as a monopoly, right? I don't see our marketers falling trapped to that necessarily, right? I think everyone's going to come up with really awesome solutions to cater to the future and and really to avoid that situation, even if that is Apple's intention, which again, I, I have no idea. But I have all the faith in the world in in kind of the, the, the industry that we inhabit and uh, the level of intelligence and innovation that happens on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it'll, it'll look very different 
than what it looks like now, but everyone will adapt. I mean, this isn't the first time that Apple's done something and it won't be the last. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, you asked about retargeting. Yeah. I always, it, it, retargeting is an interesting use case, right? And I think there's always just, I, I, anyone who's, who's chatted with me in a sales call or in a client call or really anything knows I like to put things in buckets and I like to bucket the retargeting conversation into kind of three categories, right? One is Android. Let's just put it to the side. Nothing's changing there, right? We can retarget mm-hmm. all the same. I don't think it's unreasonable to expect Google to enable a similar sort of privacy regulation in the future. I don't have any data to really back that up, but it just, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that that could be a plausible outcome uh, for Google, right? In which case, how retargeting is plays out in Google will be, you know, TBD. On iOS, there's, there's really two routes, right? It's opt-in and opt-out. Uh, with opt-in consumers, you can retarget them. The challenge is this though, right? Let's take like a best case scenario and say you're an app and you get 30, 40% opt-in, which would be higher than I think what a lot of people uh, and, and advertisers are expecting. Let's say you're at 30, mm-hmm. 40%. That's great. You might inherently think, okay, well, we can now retarget 30, 40% of our, our consumer base. The challenge is though, that we have to match the IDFA that we get from you from your opt-in 30, 40% users with an IDFA on the supply side, right? And if they're getting a 30, 40% opt-in, that means what was your 30, 40% has shrunk very significantly. It's shrunk solely to that overlap of what is your opt-in and what's the opt-in on the supply side, right? So what really comes into question there is not, can you retarget on opt-in users? Because you 100% can, right? It really becomes a question of scale, right? How much can you actually derive? How much value can you get from that endeavor? And that's a big TBD, right? That's something that we'll, we'll, we'll start to, I think, get a better concept of once the latest operating system version is, is more adopted and once we have a, a better understanding of what is the opt-in versus opt-out rate. As it relates to opt-out users, don't even try. That's what I say. Like if, if you're trying to find a way to target or retarget consumers who, are, who have opted out of tracking, you are doing something wrong because you're violating their consent and you're also doing something wrong because Apple is going to ultimately catch you and tell you not to do it, right? So if ever an advertiser comes and tries to find a workaround, it's, I, I just tell them it's a, it's a fruitless endeavor. Just focus on the things that you can control, right? And focus on other ways that we can grow your app, be it through user acquisition, incremental impact, whatever the case may be. There's tons of avenues we can go down uh, on all types of traffic. And we don't just need to um, find workarounds for uh, solutions that don't ever be there. Yeah, I think there's bigger bangs for your bucks anyways than trying to figure out how to what is essentially going to be less effective anyways to still try to hack together something to do it. Yeah. But also, I mean, uh, oversimplifying everything, everyone's going to have to become a better marketer. You know, you can't just throw 150 pieces of different creative uh, ad units and executions and channels at a wall and see what works. You're going to have to be a little bit more old school and figure out who's our user, how do we communicate with them, how do we create creative and messaging that responds to this type of person so that we'll get them to still click. Even if we're not targeting them, we're targeting them with our brand almost. And I know that's been a big debate, brand versus performance forever. (laughs) Eh, The brand versus performance conversation, I think, is one of the, the issues that our industry has faced for a long time. It's like... I don't know why it would have to be one or another, right? I mean, every, every advertiser that, that we work with is a brand, right? And they should have some degree, they, they should feel like their brand has some weight and equity, right? And that should manifest in one way or another. Part of the, part, part of the challenge that we've seen in this space is the, 
dilution of brand equity or the value of brand in and of itself, in my opinion, right? Which is is, is just manifesting how we how we measure campaign, how we have measured campaigns for a long time, right? When you think about the space, you say, well, about three, four years ago, advertisers were dying to find any network or platform that will just give them guaranteed CPIs all over the place, right? By doing that, you've devalued the millions of impressions that go into any campaign. And you've also left yourself more susceptible to fraud, which is exactly what happened, right? This industry has been just absolutely rife with fraud for a very long time, in large part because of the mechanisms that we use to price out our campaigns and the manner in which we value brand versus performance one or the other, right? They both play with each other. There is no brand in my opinion, that is, uh, you know, like any, any reputable brand, I think that that doesn't do both in some capacity, right? Like think about McDonald's, they're running TV commercials, but not just doing it if, if hamburgers aren't selling in an area, right? They have a pretty good idea that by doing more TV commercials, they're going to sell more hamburgers in, in areas A, B, and C, right? But there's value in both of those things. It's a lot to talk. The, that, the brand first performance thing you could unpack for so long here, um, and and it's and it's really interesting, and it will be even more interesting to see how we approach the conversation moving forward. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing about IDFA. Everyone's talking about it. There's so many questions, and no one really has the answers yet. So there's a lot of speculation, and it's really challenging mobile marketers across the space to be innovative and to mm-hmm. think of ways to use old techniques now because advertising was around longer than um, targeting. This is true. But it's a really interesting conversation and it'll be bumpy getting there, but this industry is full of some of the most creative people that I've ever met. So it'll be uncomfortable. There'll be growing pains, but definitely work through it. We should net out at a better place, I believe too. I I really do. I think to be quite frank, like I think our industries needed change for a long time. Um, in, in some of the manners that, that, that we think about campaigns, brand first, that brand first performance kind of prompt in general, right. is just a perfect example of something that I don't think really, I don't think we need that delineation, right. Uh, you know, the way that we measure campaigns today, I think there's tons of challenges there and tons of problems, right? Like, obviously I, I come from a business that as, as anyone knows, who's in this space has put a huge emphasis on incrementality for a long time because we genuinely believe that something like strict last touch attribution is very problematic for the space, right? And stuff that, that's happening now, I think is going to really drive marketers to think more constructively about how we can improve what, we, what it is we do. I think incrementality will continue to rise, which I think is, is as important as anything else in this space. And I think we're going to find really cool ways to, to talk to customers without having their device IDs, right? There are so many other attributes and levers in a campaign that we can leverage in order to speak to potential consumers or existing consumers intelligently. And and we're definitely going to get there. And I hope that uh, more people see that the industry, their company's growth is more than just their job. You know, like uh, to us, we have App Growth Summit. A lot of growth, quote unquote, has always been centered around paid acquisition, you know, paid UA. But a lot of that is like they don't consider retention as part of growth. But when you think about it, it's like any other business, the longer that you keep your customers, the more they're going to buy. So then the more money you have, the more your company grows, you know? Yeah. It's retargeting. It's, it's, it's so interesting. I've been at Remerge for like four years now. And, um, it's been so interesting just to watch for some advertisers. It's, it's, it's such an obvious fit for others. They, they just, for some reason, uh, still aren't there. Right. And it's shocking to me because they, their apps in a lot of cases 
are just these tiny revolving doors of consumers in, consumers out every single day, you know, losing 90% of their users overnight that they just gained the day before. I mean, that the fact that we live with that stat to me is preposterous, right? And there are real solutions that can help to not get rid of the revolving door because it's all, you're not going to keep all your customers, but let's make it bigger at least, right? Or let's keep some of them longer. There's definitely solutions for that. And, and it's super interesting. Yeah, churn's never going to be zero and retention is never going to be 100. But yeah, some of the statistics, just like you said, it's like to accept this is definitely not having a 360 degree view of of what the goals of the company should be. It's yeah. like, yeah, because UA spends money or invests money in like retention, engagement, retargeting, even those things help make more money. So yeah. it's like in the fact that you silo everything, uh, smaller companies have less of this problem because a lot more people wear more hats. But when the companies get larger, they definitely have their departments and silos that maybe because of their size and their budgets, they don't necessarily have to worry about optimizing every piece of the business. But if they did, imagine how many more millions they would be making. Yeah. You know, a lot of it, the, some, some of the reasons for it, why UA is ubiquitous and retargeting, for example, is not, is just because I think marketers are most comfortable doing the things they've been doing for a long time, right? And all the infrastructure and measurement is in place to support acquisition more than anything, right? Whereas the second you hop into retargeting, the, the, the very obvious question becomes, how do we measure the efficacy of this campaign, right? And you can't necessarily do it with your traditional modalities of, of attribution like you use for UA because that doesn't take incrementality into account. And it's very easy to steal credit for organic behavior and retargeting if you're not running incrementality. So mm. that's really it. You know, it, it, it not only, that's not the only thing, but you know, there's a, it's, it's definitely a big reason why, right? This industry has just been so UA focused for the last 10 years, right? And, and introducing something new like retargeting to some businesses is a big endeavor because it requires that they rethink some of their infrastructures or, or the manners in which they, they approach marketing as a whole. And pet peeve, it's so page UA focused that they don't even consider organic UA as UA. Like when you say UA, what do most people think of? Ads. Yeah. You know, they, they don't think of like, well, do you're not acquiring your users via, you know, the app store, like yeah. ASO. You know, you're not acquiring your users through, uh, like, you know, virality, word of mouth, even influencer marketing is a different version. Oh, there's a doggy. <laughs> so with that, Kaylani's going to end off with a special dad joke for you. Yes. And we'll see if you can oh, get this one. Dad joke. Whoa. <laughs> okay, let's see. I'm kind of good at this, so we'll see. What's America's most famous rock group that's never gone on tour? We should cue the music. Oh. I you know the Jeopardy theme song. <laughs> America's most famous rock group that's never gone on tour. Mm-hmm. The Beatles toured, but they stopped. Most famous, and they're not even from America. Remember the category. It's not joke. a trivia question. It's a dad joke. <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> I, literally. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I have literally not even the faintest idea. I'm sorry. Mount Rushmore. But I'm... T- I don't know if I get it. <laughs> okay, Mount let's Rushmore. say it's the a most rock famous group. rock group. Group of rock. Oh, jeez, <laughs> uh, that I am very dumb. I'm very. Dumb. <laughs> we'll leave all your listeners off now, knowing how <laughs> <laughs> dumb I am. No, because I think you were the perfect person that was imperfect to translate that because of your bandhood. 
You know, well, that's, you just it jumped per, it was, right in. I was it's right just in literal. Like, they're, they're testing out my knowledge of music. I have to do something good here. And, and the, it like, was the opposite. You're testing out my knowledge of, of geography and uh, and rock formation. It's a play on words. It's all yeah, fun. Yeah. We gotta we gotta go back to goofiness somehow at the happy hour, right? <laughs> gotta take one last shot before we sign off. <laughs> right on. Okay, well, if you want to learn more about retargeting, incrementality, and other types of things that will help your business grow, you can talk to Tommy or anyone at Reemerge, I'm sure, but especially Tommy. So how can they get a hold of you, Tommy? I'm Tommy Yiannopoulos. Um, I'm Tommy at Reemerge.io. That's my email. Uh, I won't give my cell number, but yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone about retargeting, about just UA, any, any type of display um, growth strategies, right? That's, uh, that's what Remerge does. So happy to chat with anyone at any time about those subjects, incrementality you mentioned. And I also, um, you know, Louie's been on my, my podcast and our, and our, our organization's podcast is called Aptivate, A-P-P-T-I-V-A-T-E. It is, it's a great podcast. We've had like 90 guests on, all just wonderful experts in this space. And uh, it's for a lot of people, just a nice resource to learn more about what their peers are thinking. So I invite anyone to give it a listen. And Especially uh, I'm not as funny. My episode as Louis. first. Especially yes, yeah, my Louis, episode first. No, Louis, your episode was, 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 was super <laughs> killing. I, I love that episode, but uh, I am, I'm not as funny as, as these two. So don't come to me for laughs. Lies. Stay here for laughs. And, uh, and, and yeah, that's how you can get in touch with me. We're the semi-informative. Tommy's the informative. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tommy, have a beautiful rest of your day and everyone out there. Here's the outro. Hey, you made it to the end of the episode. Thanks for taking the journey with us, and we hope you found it exactly as advertised. Where it was mostly fun and entertaining, but we did manage to get in a little tech talk in there as well, so you can kind of tell your managers that this was actually time spent doing work stuff. Trust me, we won't tell on you. Please subscribe so you can get notifications every time we release an episode. And please head on over to appgrowthsummit.com. Let us know what you thought or let us know if you'd like to be a guest in a future episode or recommend the guest that would be absolutely amazing. Please tell all your friends and colleagues about the happy hour and be sure to have lots of laughs until the next episode.